welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. If I said to you, hey, what's the, what's the one thing in our culture that, um, that stops us from re- remembering or realizing the true meaning of Christmas? What, give me some words. What would you say? Santa Claus. Okay, that's one. The, the date. Oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit that. The reason that it's December 25th isn't, it's not because we took over a pagan holiday. That's not what happened. Like, that's not the reason that it's on that date. The reason is that a, um, the ancient church and ancient people in general believed that a divine life would be complete. So from the point of conception, because that's where life begins, at conception, not at birth, from the point of conception to the point of death would be an equal number of years. And so they did the math from when Christ died, and that's why we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. So there you go. That's, that's for free. That wasn't even in my notes. Anyone else? What's the, what's the big one that nobody wants to say, but presence, consumerism, capitalism. That's like if I said to any given person, Christian, non-Christian, what stops us from enjoying the real meaning of Christmas? Consumerism, presence, capitalism, that's what people would talk about. I disagree. (laughs) I actually think the main thing, the main wall that stands between you and I and understanding the true meaning of Christmas is your traditions. The thing that you say it doesn't feel like Christmas unless. See, for me, it doesn't feel like Christmas unless I have croissants with ham for breakfast, as well as, now this, this might not get some, uh, this might, I might get some like negativity for this, raspberries with powdered sugar and runny cream. All right? If, don't knock it till you try it, all right? But like, for me, oh, and, and then you've got to, like, the peas, you have to, like, get them out of the pod themselves. And I bet if I talk to every single person here, I'm going to just do this with my hand because I kept trying to do it with my foot and it wasn't working. If I talk to every single person here and said, hey, what makes it feel like Christmas for you? I'm sure you would say something. You would say, this kind of food, these people around me, I I need to have this thing or that thing. And I want to suggest to you, I don't think they're bad. I'm going to enjoy my croissant when I'm in Christchurch for Christmas this year. I'm going to enjoy that croissant filled with baked ham at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to enjoy popping the peas out of the pods. And I'm going to eat like half a trifle by myself. <laughs> and those things are, are fine, just like the presents are and the, the, all of those things. But I think that, that our traditions, the things that we say, it only feels like Christmas when, whatever is in that gap for you, 
is the thing that is going to stop you, if you're not aware of it, from understanding the true meaning of Christmas. And so that's what I want to talk about today. The title of my message is called, All I Want for Christmas is Circumcision. <laughs> We're going to go to the book of Galatians and, um, and look at what Paul writes about the incarnation. So when you're talking about the birth of Christ in theology, the word um, that we use is incarnation. Um, and what I f find interesting about Paul is that Paul doesn't talk about the 99 lost sheep or the 99 sheep and the one lost sheep. Paul doesn't talk about um, the prodigal son. Paul doesn't talk about the, um, the sowing of the seeds. Paul doesn't actually address any of Jesus's parables or teaching. Have you ever noticed that? When you read Paul's letters, he is singularly focused on what theologians call the Christ event. His birth, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension, the Christ event. That's, that's, that is what Paul is focused on. He also talks about communion, just for those who are going to go, ha ha, I gotcha. He also talks about communion. He talks about his second coming. But as far as Christ's life and ministry, Paul has a singular focus. He's not thinking about the Magi and the shepherds and, you know, like all of the different things. He's not thinking about when he um, heals blind Bartimaeus. He is singularly focused on the Christ event. And I, when I read that, I only found this out a couple, like I never really noticed it before. I found it out a couple of months ago and I was like, I was, I was kind of shocked I felt scandalized by it because I was like, why didn't Paul address all of Jesus's other teaching? Um, but I think Paul looked at, because yes, by the time he's writing his letters, probably he would have read a couple of the Gospels. He was hanging out with all these guys. He knew all the stories. Um, so even though the Gospels had, may not have been fully written down, by this point he would have known all the stories. Um, he's been training by these guys. He's, he's relating with these people. Um, the reason is I think Paul leaves Jesus' teaching to Jesus, he's going to go, I'm going to leave the things that you're teaching Jesus, the parables you're teaching, I'm going to leave those to you, and I'm going to focus solely on what your death and resurrection in particular, but also your ascension and your birth, what that means for the believer, what that actually means in our life. And so I want to look at what Paul says about the incarnation. I, I want to look at what he, um, he says about it because he, what Paul is going to do is he's going to give it, with, uh, give it to us with no frills. He's going to give it to us with no donkeys um, and, and no stars. He's going to give us just the steak, no vegetables on the plate. And so when, yeah, gravy, is, of course, the gravy, or well, it depends if it's great steak and it's been cooked well, 
You don't need gravy, just flaky rock salt. Have you learned nothing from Instagram? (laughs) And so I want to look at what Paul writes in the book of Galatians. So if you've got your Bible, would you turn to Galatians? We're going to get there eventually. You can, we're going to walk through the book, just giving an overview so you can read all the titles with me and see that I'm, I'm telling you the truth. Um, But so Paul writes the book of Galatians and What's interesting about Galatians as a letter is often Paul is writing to churches in a city, like he's writing to the church in Corinth or he's writing to the church in Rome. And, but when he writes to the Galatians, Galatia is not a city, it's a province. It would be like him, him writing a letter to the churches of Northland. Like it's, it is, it, it's not a... He's not writing a letter to one specific church with a specific issue. He's writing a letter to a wide range of churches. And he's got, there's actually just one issue in this letter. There's one issue that he's going to spend the entire letter addressing. And, And imagine what it would take for all of the churches in Northland to have the same issue. Like that would take some like serious organization, like even today, like if we started, if we wanted to go, all right, we're gonna reject the Trinity as the churches of Northland, we're not going to do that. That would be heresy and we'd be we wouldn't be Christians anymore. But if we wanted to try and do that, now it would take a lot of Facebook groups and um, we'd probably have to start some like signal conversations and use like back messaging so that the, the Pope didn't find out about it. But like, it would be so hard to get all of the churches in one region onto, onto the same issue. And so this is a widespread issue in the early church. And, and like, in later centuries, the church would deal with different things. They would deal with different heresies around the nature of Christ and the nature of the Trinity, the nature of salvation. They would deal with that later. They had bigger fish to fry in the first century. They are going to be solely focused on circumcision. This is the big issue in the first in this first kind of explosion of Christianity onto the scene, the big issue as Jew and Gentile came together was circumcision, which to me, looking back at it, I'm like, are you sure? Like, are you sure this is what you want to focus on? And so what was happening in Galatia is there was a group of people called, who we now refer to as Judaizers, or in this letter, um, Paul also refers to them as the circumcision party. It's like the Boston Tea Party, but for circumcision. It was just for people that like um, American history. Um, and so they'd, they'd risen up, they, these guys had come, they were, they were disseminated through the churches, telling everybody that to be saved, Jew or Gentile, you needed to be circumcised. And, um, but one of the things that they were doing as they were having all these conversations is they were specifically speaking against Paul and saying he wasn't a real apostle. 
And they were saying he didn't actually walk with Jesus. He, because he wasn't one of the disciples that walked with Jesus, he wasn't a true apostle. And, and I'm sure if we got Peter in here, like Peter would agree with us and he would, um, and if we got, you know, some of the other OG apostles, we got those on our side, they would agree with us and we could just like pretend like Paul doesn't exist and, um, and so there is these two kind of things going on. Paul's apostleship is being denied by this, these people, and they're, they're trying really, really hard to make circumcision a requirement for salvation. So this is what is happening. It's kind of weird when you think about it. Next time you read any passage in the book of Galatia, you'll be like, man, the context really just makes us feel weirder. Um, the, the crazy thing is, is like this is such a big issue that this is what we see the first church council meets about. They meet in Acts 15. You can go have a look at it later, but you can. They meet to discuss what um, what a Gentile was have to do when they when they were saved because. Um, they didn't. The, the early church didn't see Christianity as a breaking away from Judaism, but they saw it as as the fulfillment. Their Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, had come, and the, the they they it was a fulfillment, a continuation of the Jewish um, religion into Christianity. And so they were like, well, being a Jew means this, and so you guys, if you're going to join the club you got to join the club, if you know what I mean. And so Paul is going to write to firstly defend his, his apostleship and secondly to build a theological case against the Judaizers. Um, and so if, if you look at the letter and if you've got your Bible open, you can flick through um, chapter 1 through 2.14. Paul spends his time defending his apostleship. He talks about the reasons why he's an apostle. But not only that, he talks um, at length. He talks at length about his conversion, but he also talks at length about how he um, was accepted by the Jerusalem apostles. Um, in fact, he has a story in there about him and Peter disagreeing and Paul kind of like gets up in his grill and shoots him down to his face. And it's like, Peter, you were wrong. He, I don't know why he writes Cephas in this. But he, so he's, he's fighting. The, he's, and, and it's kind of like saying, if I told you that back in the day, I got into the ring with Mike Tyson. If I said that to you, you would immediately go, oh, he must be strong enough to fight Mike Tyson. Didn't matter if I won or if I lost. If I told you I got into the ring with him, you would assume that I was on his level. And so Paul is going to do that by saying, hey, guys, I had this argument with Peter. Like with Peter. You know, you know Peter? The Peter. It's a Hunger Games reference. Um, this is one of my favorite memes of all time. It's, it's she's holding a, Katniss Everdeen holding a pita bread, saying, Peter, anyway. I, Paul's like, I had a fight with Peter. Like, we had this disagreement. So I, I'm telling you this to tell you I'm on his level. I'm an apostle. I'm accepted by 
these guys. And then in uh, 2.15, Paul is going to start building his theological argument. And if you look through, if you've got a Bible, does someone have a real Bible on them? Yeah. Do you want to just yell out some of the titles? You've got it open. Oh, so if you go to um, uh, Galatians 2.15. Galatians 2.15. Justified by faith. Anyone else? Another, the next title down. These are helpful. They help give you a, like when, when people have translated this, they've added this in so you, you can scan the book and get the context. What's the next one? So justified by faith. Yeah, I, is it by faith or by works of the law is the next section. Anybody else? Next next section down. Yeah, exactly. So so he's building a theological case through this, uh, this letter saying, guys, you're not justified by the law, you're justified by Christ. And I, I summed it up here that... His theological argument is you're justified by faith, not by works, and the righteous live by faith. This is his argument that he's building. And so when he gets to Galatians 3.29, he is going to start addressing what I think is the root problem of this issue. See, the problem isn't really circumcision. Circumcision is what is the tip of the iceberg in this, in this argument. This is what the, the, the issue has become about. Have you ever been in an argument, maybe with your wife, maybe not with your wife, and all of a sudden the argument becomes about something really, really insignificant? And you're like, wait, why are we fighting over this? It's always because there's something deeper going on. And so Paul's going to address the deeper issue. And I do promise we'll get back to Christmas at some point. He says this, and if you are Christ's, this is Galatians 3.29, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, is according to promise. So he's addressing the specific issue now. See, for these people, being Abraham's son and daughter, being his offspring, meant doing what Abraham did. And they were focused on his physical works, but they missed what was actually happening. It wasn't about his physical works, but it was about his faith. And so he says, if you were in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, is according to promise. He's actually meeting these guys where they're at. He's going, I, I know circumcision is weird, what we're talking about. That's the political issue we're fighting over. But I know it at a deeper level, you're actually worried that if you don't have the outward things, who are you on the inside? And then Galatians 4, 1 through 3, he's going to explain the state of the Jewish nation and the state of the Jewish people prior to Christ. He says this, I mean that the ear, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, 
though the though he is the owner of everything but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father in the same way also when we were children he's talking now when we were children he's talking about now Paul as a as a Jew when we were not under Christ we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. What Paul is teaching us here is the under the law, under the old covenant, under the 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 um the in the old testament, these people were heirs of God's promise. They were sons and daughters of Abraham, but they were like ears that hadn't reached maturity and so they were no different than a slave because even though there was the promise of inheritance they hadn't yet reached the point of maturity it's kind of like um, Queen Victoria under the Kensington system where she is am I this is going straight over everybody's head or have you watched the young Victorian some. So when Queen Victoria, she, she, was un, she was going to be queen, there was a, there was, it was an expectation, but while she was under the age of 18, as a child, she was under managers and guardians who dictated her life for her. And so he's saying that outside of Christ, even if you're Abraham's offspring, even if you're an heir to the promise, he's saying outside of Christ, you might be an heir, but you're immature. You haven't reached maturity. In other words, his point is that as that in Christ, we go, we become mature heirs. That in Christ, you become an heir who can attain the promise. And I, I can actually, I can sympathize with the Judaizers. I'm not heartless. I, I, like, I get it. They, they actually loved the law. Not because they had, like, Stockholm Syndrome and they were actually, like, experiencing trauma, you know, from, you know, their captors. And so it's caused this love bond. It's not because of that. It's because the law was the way that they could feel close to God. It's kind of like how freshly popped peas and trifle make me feel like it's Christmas. See, the law... These traditions were the things that made these people feel closeness to God. My family's traditions, your family's traditions this Christmas are the things that will make you feel like it's Christmas. Could you imagine being, is there anyone from the Northern Hemisphere here where it snows, not like when you moved to New Zealand, did it feel like Christmas at Christmas time? When it was sunny and 30 degrees? No. <laughs> to me, I, even though I've been brought up indoctrinated by American Christmas movies, 
it would still feel weird if I couldn't barbecue on Christmas Day, if I, you know, went to New York. I understand where the Judaizers are coming from. And I think Paul actually does as well. Because in Acts 16, which is after the Jerusalem council have decided that, hey, we don't need to, we don't need to, Gentiles don't need to get circumcised. Paul circumcises Timothy. And the reason he does it is he says, for the sake of the Jews. I actually, I don't think Paul is being callous or heartless or just shooting down this issue that they have. But he is trying to point to them that, that being in Christ is not about what's on the outside, but what's happened on the inside. So Galatians 4, 4 says this, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. So now Paul is going to address the incarnation. Now Paul is going to tell us the Christmas story. Like I said, it's going to be without frills. There's no, there's no shepherds and magi. There's no like stables and donkeys and stuff. It's like... You know, we, we had a Christmas like scene and Paul's just like, oh, let's get rid of most of this. We'll just have, um, we'll have Mary and Jesus. That's all we need. That's telling us the story. Um, that's, 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 that's the only part I'm going to focus on. I'm not worried about the stables thing. You guys can read that and um, like Luke will talk about it. Um, you guys, like he, he'll, he'll address it in his book or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm worried now that Luke's the gospel that doesn't have much about the birth. <laughs> it does, cool. I thought it did. I know John doesn't. Um, so I knew I was safe with the synoptics. See, here Paul is talking, he's giving us the essentials of the Christmas message. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The essential things is God sent his son. He's born of a woman. He, he's, he's actually, he's not just a supernatural being, but he, Jesus is flesh. He's flesh and blood and bones. And if you, punched, if you punched him, he would break. Like he was flesh. And he's born under the law. How these people used to be how they're trying to stay. And then verse five, he says this, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. See, in the old covenant, the family of God was marked by circumcision. In the old covenant, the family of God was marked by the law, by doing the rituals, by doing the, the things that you do. But Jesus came born of a woman. 
He came in flesh. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh. He's born under the law, not just so that he can show us all how to do it really, really well, not so that he can be a good moral example, but to redeem those under the law. For what reason? To, so that we might receive adoptions as adoption as sons. See, the, the, the true meaning of Christmas, the reason that we go, man, Christmas is all about family. Christmas is all about spending time with our family, sitting around the tree, drinking hot chocolates, you know, like the reason that we think Christmas is all about family is because it is. See, Christmas is all about family because on Christmas, Jesus was born under the law so that he could redeem those under the law and make them a part of God's family. See, the true meaning of Christmas is not giving, it's not joy. It's, it's not even that God gave his son so we should give things, you know. It's that you and I, who were born under the law, who should not be a part of God's family, you and I, who, who could not earn it, who could not get there on our own, you and I get added in to the family of God. We become adopted sons and daughters. The reason it just says sons there is in every other generation, the masculine pronoun was the gender neutral pronoun. We didn't need it before. The reason every old text says he is because when it was speaking to a group of people, it just, that just meant everybody. We didn't need they because it, it didn't make sense. We'd use that for inanimate objects. That's, that's why it says sons there. It's not to be offensive to ladies. It's because that's just, anyway. See, it would be really easy this Christmas for you, for me, to go, do you know what? All I want for Christmas, I don't need presents. Nah, I'm all good with that presents. I don't need nice things. All I need for Christmas, all I, all I want for Christmas is circumcision. I just want circumcision because I want the traditions. I want the things that make me feel good. I want the, I, I want the thing that makes me feel like it's Christmas. And Paul is talking to the Judaizers. He's saying to them, you don't need the circumcision. You don't need the traditions because, because of what Jesus has done, you're a part of his family. Every time you're remembering the birth of Christ because he was born of a woman under the law, every time you remember it, you should be remembering that you don't have to live under the law anymore. You just get to be a part of God's family. The, the, the traditions, the things that make you feel good, they could actually be the one thing to stop you this Christmas from remembering the, the true meaning. It's not even happy birthday, Jesus. The true meaning of Christmas is that you and I have been brought into the family of God. 
The true meaning of Christmas is that you and I are adopted into his family. And I want to show you one last thing before we close. Someone go, oh, this isn't in my notes, someone go to Romans 8.29, preferably someone with an ESV. Someone go there. As I want to show you why this is important. Yeah, 29. I know you're thinking 28 because 28 is good, but 29 is what I want. Yeah, do you want to read it? Oh, come, come do it into the microphone. Come do it for the nice people. All right, come, come read it. What, is it. what does it say? Uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See, it's not those who he foreknew, he predestined some for heaven, some for hell. I think the predestination argument loses its meaning. It was, it's predestined for, what was that again, John? Do you want to just remind us? What was it? Predestined for what? To be, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so your destiny, my destiny, our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That every year you would look more and more like Jesus. Now, I get that for some of you ladies, you might be like, ah, I don't want to look like a man. I'm talking about in the heart, remember? That's the whole point of this message. But what was the end there? The end of that verse was that he might be the first among many brothers. See, what happens at Christmas is Jesus becomes the firstborn of a woman in God's family and Jesus's inheritance, the thing he's looking for is that he would have many brothers and sisters. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. 